Good evening and welcome to The Vault. I'm Christy Dehaven. Over the past few weeks, we've had a wonderful time delving into the audio archives here at The Nation Station, taking a look back at some of the highlights from Manx Radio's archives across the decades. We've ventured into island caves with Goldie and Cullister, rambled with Howard Hampton, wandered the streets of Old Peel with Bernard Kane, and listened to clips of the fabulous John Quilliam, who really did know your parish. We were very sad to hear that Florrie Kinvig, who was the subject of our very first Vault episode, in conversation with John Kenyuk, passed away just a week after that episode aired. Our love and respect go to her family and friends, with grateful thanks to Florrie herself for sharing those wonderful memories. She will live on in those recordings and many more captured over the years. This week, in our final episode of the current series, our own Queen of Interviews with the King of Magic. Enjoy this classic edition of the Geraldine Jameson interview in conversation with magician Paul Daniels, first broadcast in 2001. Hello and a very warm welcome indeed to this week's programme. Well, my guest today really needs no introduction from me. However, in the UK, we tend to be unaware of his amazing international appeal. The USA, Canada, New Zealand, Germany, Spain, Japan, even the Falklands have all recognised him as a world-class entertainer. Now, without doubt, one of the most accomplished and exciting magicians add to that a very unique comedy style and you have not only a complete entertainer but also one of the funniest men in show business. His catchphrase, you like it, not a lot, but you like it, became a household saying, actually it even got into the dictionary of colloquialisms that I believe, and it is of course Paul Daniels. What a very sincere welcome and it's a great pleasure to have you on the programme Paul. That introduction lasted longer than my first marriage. Did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. You missed out sex symbol. and all that jazz. Yeah. Well, it is a Sunday morning programme. I've never met anybody that does as much research as you. Where did you find out all this stuff? <laughs> Come on. My, my BBC obituary, is that what it is? <laughs> well, if they're going to pay me, yes, sir. Yeah, listen, I walk... You're not a great friend of the BBC, though, are well, you? Well, all right. I mean, um, they I, sacked I, I you. My thing. Well, yes, they said they didn't want any more of it because the gentleman in charge at the time uh, wasn't really a knowledgeable of, about light entertainment. He didn't want light entertainment, he wanted it all to be very arty, I think. So we got the crossover between the boss but wanting news, him wanting art, and, and neither of them wanting viewers. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here you are in the lovely Isle of Man. Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? I well, love the Isle of Man. I first came here when I was 16 or 17. And with the bucket uh, in spade? Uh, no, for the TT. Ah. And then, uh, and ever since, I've been sort of bobbing over from time to time. A couple of years ago, we, we came to the Gaiety with a big um, illusion show. And you know the beach outside here? Well, we, we were driving around the island, uh, finding golf courses and whacking balls. And there was one of those mission meetings on the sands. And they were leading... The beach mission? Yeah, you know, Sunshine Corner and all that stuff. And uh, <laughs> to their amazement, they looked up and there's me. And even more to their amazement, I knew all the words to the songs, you know, Join the Gospel Express and all that, because my me, me granny had a mission. <laughs> so I, I knew all the heavenly mountain with the heavenly uh, breezes. Oh, yeah, heavenly blow. breezes blow and all that. Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain, yeah. That's it. Funny. Well, now here you are, I've caught up with you at the Erin Arts Centre. 
for them and then an international Dang. festival of music and the arts but you know this is a small intimate venue that oh time. yes i love intimacy <laughs> uh, put me down for that yeah <laughs> well the last time you and i met and we did a program together that was in the winter gardens in your dressing room at the back of the winter gardens of course in blackpool that'll be the opera house the yeah. opera well yeah. yes yeah. the opera house the opera house yeah but um i mean the winter gardens holds about what three thousand uh, yeah, well, well, it's actually to the Winter Garden Theatre inside there. Yeah, it was the Winter Garden Theatre where it's you a were wee performing. One. No, no, I never did it. Oh. I only did the 3,300 seater. Oh, that's the one, that's the one yeah. I'm talking Very about. Very similar to this. <laughs> Come Tonight, on. Yeah. And, um, no, I really don't mind. Uh, it was Lord Delphond who gave me one of my best compliments, really, uh, which I, you cherish those, you know. And it was, he said uh, to me after the first night in this 3,300 seater, he says, I don't understand how you turn a place this big into a living room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I just go on and have a chat, really. <laughs> well, I'd like to set the scene here now, take really? you back, actually, to your childhood, because uh, we've just been talking about it to John Bethel, of course, the director of the Air and Arts Centre here. You were born in Southbank, Teesside, mm. and during your early life, you were greatly influenced by the cinema, because yeah. your parents actually owned the Hippodrome Cinema there. Yeah, and... Uh, and by the age of nine, you were the projectionist. Yeah, I was showing movies. I was standing on a box to see out the projection room window. I'd probably still have to stand on the box to see out the projection room window. Who said that? But it was... <laughs> um, but I, yeah, it's true. I watched all uh, the horror movies and all the rest of it. I showed them. But to me, you see, I knew they were just bits of film, so it didn't really affect me badly. Um, and in those days, they were all uh, in little spools. You had to keep changing over from one machine to the other. It was, yeah, it was fun. But people went to the cinema and drove then, didn't well, they? Well, they do now. I mean, the cinema's still... There's been a revival. Time, a big revival, yeah. Um, probably. I think the major revival started when they stopped the Paul Daniels show on television. <laughs> and the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But it, it's true. Um, television has become like wallpaper, really. It hasn't become a feature part of entertainment. Well, television is sanitised to real theatre, of course. I mean, that's where the unexpected, and particularly if you're doing magical tricks, I suppose you've got to be prepared for something going wrong. But before we mm. get to that, I'm determined to find the start of your childhood, really, and where magic became in you know a part of your life it wasn't until a very rainy holiday apparently when you were about 11 Paul yeah out in the heart of Yorkshire I was sent out there to recuperate because I was a sickly child you know and very shy very quiet but I read a lot I read everything I don't think there's enough enthusiasm in the teaching profession for reading I think that, uh, and I used to read the library. Library service was fantastic. No matter what your interest was, they would find it for you. So when I found this book on this bookshelf in this little cottage uh, in Old Byland near Helmsley, I, I, it was all about Victorian stuff like how to make puppet theatres and shadowgraphs and all that, and chapography, which is twisting a ring of felt into funny hats. And, and one of the things was, a magic trick and I thought wow this works and I have sort of carried it around ever since it's a, a mathematical thing but it worked so I went back home and the library service got me all these books on how to do tricks I should take them back really <laughs> but the um, but your it, parents I mean they, they, they can't have been too pleased cause no they can't it wasn't well, going to be well, a proper job was well, it well no it wasn't days? and also my mum wasn't enamoured of show business because my auntie was in it my auntie Maureen was a devil she had eight husbands and none of them were hers. 
and it was uh, <laughs> actually I've told that gag for years and, and, and then I buried the poor woman a few years ago mm -hmm. and found out in her real life she'd had six husbands for real and yet the last fella she never married with it and she lived with him for 27 years so Maureen was a devil but she was wonderful she's a great full of life character but of course my mum brought up with the mission and all that thought she was very naughty show business was naughty that you can't go in that there'll be talk and so I became a local government junior clerk then a soldier went back to being a local government internal auditor and eventually bought a grocery shop and mobile shop. That was a form of insurance. Yeah, that was, was insurance just against the being, um, a, you know, maybe show business wouldn't work for me. But at the age of 30, I just got so many bookings, I, I went for it. Actually, that you had to sell that grocery business, I gather, within two years. But surely you're, uh, it was national service you did, that's why you joined up in the army and you were out in Hong Kong. Yeah. You must have entertain the troops there that must have well yes but that, that, that was accidental my entertaining the troops because i didn't know as a soldier you're not allowed to have another job <laughs> i i went off entertaining chinese people in their rich parties were you taking money for it of course <laughs> and uh, i still do and uh, I, I still do private parties and corporate work and all that but in those days it was kind of new and I just happened to entertain one fellow who turned out to be Sir Robert Black, the governor of Hong Kong, who saw me a few weeks later on a parade, and so the RSM wanted to know why he was having a conversation with me, a bookshe squaddy, and I, um, I got to entertain all the troops. The Sergeant Major maybe entertaining the messes, and then I got on those fantastically huge aircraft carriers, that the Americans had, you know. We got, went up in one, up the side of one of them and inside the ship and got in a Cadillac to go to the other end of the ship. Oh, I've never forgotten that. I mean, that was, wow, yeah. look at the size of this ship, that you know. That style. Style. <laughs> Useless what? style. Yes, still. I went downhill ever since, you know, but that was it. <laughs> and so it was, um, so it was an exciting time, the army. I, I like the army. I approve of national service. I now, of course, chat away merrily with many politicians and I've always believed that there should be a national service where you get all the drill, the discipline, the spit and polish, but not to kill people. I, I would approve of something where all the training that I had on Bren guns and Sten guns and all that anti-tank stuff went into what to do if somebody had a cardiac arrest uh, or got burnt or got drowned and all that mm -hmm. so you went beyond first aid and I think then that young people would find it very difficult to stab somebody or mug somebody if you spent two years of your life saving them quite you know I just think, would think we could lead the world again in bringing up a, a self-reliant nation yeah. There you go, that's Very my important. platform and vote for Daniels, that's <laughs> it, yes. Well, bringing you back to your television debut, of course, was on Opportunity Knocks. Now, I think this is absolutely brilliant because you did not, you weren't the winner. You came second, actually, in that uh, yeah. Opportunity Knocks. I was told I was going to come second. In 1970, but the, the, the person did win it, completely anonymous now, nobody even, is, hasn't even got a name, was, mm. the organ, was an organist, organist and, and a drummer. drummer. And a few mm. months later, he was actually backing you. Yeah, but Ob Ob Knox was weird. I mean, I, I got a letter saying I would come second. Um, I found out later, met another couple of acts, and they were placed. 
the clapometer. <laughs> you, do you remember the electronic of clapometer? Course. Friends, I want to tell you. Uh, give your applause and let's yeah. see how high you go on the clapometer and all. It, it was a, a cardboard box with a rubber band at one end. The fella pulling a piece of string at the other. I've, I've got a funny <laughs> sense of humour, but I died laughing when I saw that. You know. Because you were a Radio Two DJ for a few months ago. Well, yes, I've been. I've done everything. I, 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 I acted in Moliere, the heart, you know. One was in Moliere, and I was. Uh, I've sung at the Albert Hall. That was good. I've sung there twice, and it was. So I, I really will have a crack mm -hmm. at anything. I was in an amateur movie recently. <laughs> I love the movies. I'd love to be in a movie. Are you listening out there, you directors? <laughs> I'm available. Well, you've got, certainly got that deep, deep voice. You know, oh, one can do anything. Very, else. very impressive. But it was the television executive and producer. He was the big chap on Granada's TV, Johnny Hamp. He was great. Who yeah. got you on board a Wheel Tappers show for Granada Television. And he made this big decision yeah. not to edit a whole 12-minute piece of you and really, that was it. I mean, you were on your way then. Yeah, well, I had studied television direction um, on my own. I taught myself everything from books and that. I love books. Um, and I made it uneditable. <laughs> <laughs> I kept forward referencing and backward referencing. Uh, for people who don't know about that, in the first trick I talked about the second and third trick I was going to do, and in the second trick I talked about the first and the third trick, and in the third trick I talked about the first and the second trick. And he said to me afterwards, he said, I can't make out whether you're <laughs> lucky or <laughs> <laughs> clever. He says, but I can't edit that. And, and I says, oh, really? And he says, what are you, what are you talking about, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hamp, and um, and and so it went out as twelve minutes because even today these television media study people are being taught by people who have no idea about show business. And the truth of the matter is, one song is not an act. Three and a half minutes of jokes is not an act. Acts develop; they need time. And so, um, by leaving myself on air for twelve minutes, well, not leaving Johnny put me on for twelve minutes on prime time. People went, wow, nobody's been on this long before. <laughs> and so he invited me straight back, to, and I got invited back, and I did about, uh, what did I do then? I did 15 minutes. And I remember afterwards he came over to me and he says, you're not lucky, are you? Because <laughs> that wasn't editable either. Then, then I did 22 minutes, and then he gave me the whole show to do. I've always been very grateful to Johnny. Great guy. You're listening to a classic edition of the Geraldine Jameson interview in conversation with magician Paul Daniels. First broadcast in 2001. Well, you know the way I said at the top of the programme that we here in the UK, we don't realise how big you've become right round the world. Oh, five foot five. And this was cemented when you were presented with the prestigious Magician of the Year Award by the Hollywood Magical Academy of Magical Arts. And that was before a star-studded audience in Los Angeles. But what was special about it was it was a tremendous achievement becoming the first magician to be so honoured from outside the USA to receive that award. Yeah, well, you know, I talked down my nose. They didn't know. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, they knew, and they were. They, it was very nice. Um, I'm going there again in July. They, they've made. They're giving Debbie and I lifetime achievement awards, you know, and that that's nice. So it's it's all well, when good. you performed over there. Were they looking for a different brand of magic? Oh yeah, they expected big cats and cages and lions. But then you see, I I never did that. I I can do illusions, of course I can. But it it and I design and build them. But it, it's not that. I'm best just 
being me. It's a funny show. I can't describe the show. And Americans say, we got nothing like you over here, boy, you know. And I say, well, no, they've got nothing like me in England. <laughs> they want rid of me. But it's, it's just, I just go on stage to enjoy myself. And I think the audience comes along for the ride. Yes, I know I baffle you because the magic's carefully chosen, but it's secondary, always secondary, I believe, to the performance. To the rapport. Yeah. Mm. Going back in time, would you have liked to have been around, you know, when the great Houdini... Uh, Well, the great Houdini's interesting. Um, We have a modern equivalent. Uh, Harry Houdini was a fabulous publicist, self-publicist. Um, there was another one around at the time called Murray, from an Australian, who apparently was much better, but was not the self-publicist. And right now we've got uh, David Copperfield, arguably the greatest publicist in, on the planet, you know. Um, and, well, there's and I don't, with his spoons. <laughs> yeah, bless him, yes. He lived on a bend of the river that used to be straight, you know. Anyway, and the... Um, He's dead, actually, isn't he? We shouldn't make jokes. He's dead. Did you know that? I didn't know oh, that. Oh, yes. All, no. He rubbed his neck and his head fell off. <laughs> and the. Uh, <laughs> oh, mother, shoot me, baby. Yeah. But he, um, but it, it's all of this stuff of. Uh, it's who publicises themselves the most. And the oddity is, uh, I've never, ever had a brochure. Some or anything. Other people, I remember once early in my career, and it's very collectible now amongst magicians, and somebody did want, somebody did a little threefold brochure for me. I never used it. That's why there's so few of them around, because it was always the act that got me the jobs. It was always me on the stage and people saying, well, will you come and do our party and all that. But you're a rare combination, though, because you're not just the illusionist, the magician, but mm. you know, you're a very good c- comedian as well. Well, I'm not really, I, I'm a raconteur, darling, you know, one tells stories and, uh, and, and uh, I, yeah, occasionally as a joke pops out, but mostly it's very relevant to the thing I'm doing at the time. Um, and, and the other thing people don't realise really, because I tend to keep it all light and frothy, is is I, I only act daft for a living. I'm actually quite clever. <laughs> and I do I do this thing with um I do a lot of private stuff um where I do what they now call close up magic. It used to be called pocket magic, then it became micro magic and all table hopping they call it now. And and I do that for some awfully wealthy people. It's very nice. And to show you the effect of this, if you read the ancient magic books, you know, uh, like Murray was given a a gold pin or Goldstone would be given a, a diamond pin by the King of Siam and all this stuff, you know. And you think that's all gone. Well, I did a, a private party and I showed somebody a trick and they said, you must show it to this young lady over here. So I went over and I showed this trick, which is a pretty good trick, to this young woman and her brother. And Barry White was at the same table, the singer. And uh, a couple of days later, this car came up the drive uh, with a present, and it was a ball pen. But it was a solid gold ball pen with diamonds in the clip, and it was worth seven and a half thousand pounds. And and I thought, wow, history is still going on. You know, uh, nothing changes. The more it changes, the more it stays the same. She was um, uh, daughter of a wealthy gentleman. On a live program I did here on Max Radio a few years ago, there was a magician. In fact, there was, there was a whole convention. I think they were all Americans, funny enough, over from um, Los Angeles and yeah. Las Vegas and so on. 
And one of them came up on the show, a great big chap with massive dark black hair and a pigtail, a ponytail, I always remember that. And uh, anyway, we're getting along fine. Uh, um, was this he is, of course, radio, radio tech. No. Bearded, was he? He was bearded, that's right. Ricky J. It might have been, yes, Ricky the producer J. thinks it, it could is. have been Ricky J, yeah. But he said, I feel like playing a game of poker, he said. I can't remember how many hands are on a, po- a game of poker. Is it six or five, whatever it was? And he said, I would like the listeners, five listeners, say, you know, yeah. to, to phone in with with um, the, the uh, five different cards, yeah. like the six of spades or something, right. you know, and so ten of hearts or whatever. And anyway, th- these numbers came in, and uh, it must have been six, because it turned out, I couldn't believe it, that these numbers turned out to be the telephone number of the Gaiety Theatre where this guy was performing that Oh, night. that's a good trick, yes, that's now, performed that, often, yeah. Is that psychic or what? I yeah, mean, you know, I, I, I haven't had a decent night's sleep since that man was here, and they've never had brought well, back the American like, Convention since to like actually to ask him, con- you know, could he, your fella and, uh, <laughs> could he help me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's performed quite frequently now. Um, there's a Swedish guy who's brought that back to life with him. Um, a pack of cards routine he does you know where mm-hmm. it's all shuffled up and all that yes but coming down the phone line that's what got i know i know it's mm-hmm. uh, actually nobody rang in and he's a uh, he's a very good ventriloquist that's how it works <laughs> what <laughs> you were looking at me then listening, i was <laughs> it took a little while for the brain uh, to get around that well now we're in a very technological age and you've talked about it a wee bit you've touched on it there oh a i'm a techie bit i'm a techie yeah. but but surely there's a, there's going to be a terrific conflict here technology you know against such illusions as we've been talking about your career really so is there a realistic future left really in your profession for those that are coming up behind you yeah because what happens is you see if you uh, for example if you walk downstairs uh, onto the beach and and you just do uh, you toss and vanish a pebble in the air it worked 10,000 years ago and it'll work in 2,000 years time there's nothing like the 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 current uh, the, the happening before your very eyes will always be for real. Mm-hmm. You can always say that. I have seen hologram TV. Uh, I have seen, um, I've used holograms in illusion. I've used technology, but it's always been secondary to the basic effect. Very difficult to describe that. But nevertheless, the real performance will always be superior. Mm-hmm. And you have to build up over the years a lot of street cred. There's a young man on TV now. Everything he does is edited. And yet he's got a tremendous American reputation. But it's all chopped. And I think I, I have got no no respect for it. Because, yeah. I mean, how can It's just you sanitized beyond the sanitized, beyond. Sanitized, you know. I mean, when they organize their own standing ovations, I think, well... How can you do that? Well, you <laughs> How can you ever know you've gone well? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we in broadcasting say there's nothing new in broadcasting, really. Yeah. It's just how you present it, you know. Or, oh, or you get a su- nice surprise to tonight. I'm doing a new illusion tonight, completely new. Yeah, never, you've never been seen before. So where, where, do, where do you get your current ideas from? Are oh, they still Lordy, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm driving along and I'll think, wouldn't it be a good idea? Today on the plane coming over, Debbie's Ballet Company, Ballet Imaginaires, is doing Phantom the Ballet. And on the way over, I'm designing the scenery to fit absolutely anywhere, mm-hmm. put itself up, put itself down. And, and so, because I'm constantly thinking, I'm constantly creating. You That's haven't brought the, uh, the lovely Debbie McGee, your wife. No, no, I am available, darlings. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
at a price for one night only (laughs) well we appreciate it very much indeed that we've had you for nothing literally it's been a great joy the pain second time around the pain the pain (laughs) the last time you and I met actually we were sitting together in the choir stores virtually yes in Westminster Abbey for Les Dawson's memorial service now there was someone I remember you you sang and 400 people changed their religion (laughs) yes Paul Daniels you've been great thank you very very much indeed for sparing the time great to have you on the Geraldine Jameson interview this week may you come back again soon thank you that was Geraldine Jameson in conversation with Paul Daniels first broadcast in 2001 If you've missed any of this evening's programme or others in the current series of The Vault, you can find them as part of our Island Life Specials podcast, either at manxradio.com or using your usual podcast provider. Next week, Howard Kane reflects on a more recent history of the Nation Station as he rewinds through some of his favourite moments from the past month of broadcasting. I'm Christy Dehaven. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 